0: Pick up in chapter, Acts chapter 20, verse 27. Paul now is with the elders. He has been through Asia Minor. He's been through many locations. He's now meeting with the elders, and he's going to be meeting with some other brethren. And he, we pick up and we read in verse 27, For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years I ceased not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things how that's so laboring, he ought to support the weak, and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all, and they all wept sore, and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more, and they accompanied him unto the ship. What's sad here is how the Lord lays the truth, and the Lord lays out, prophecy in, in essence and the future. He lays it in our hearts and He really does show us and guide us and direct them. And these wonderful Christians now knew that Paul would be gone. Most of them would never see him again. He would be taken to Rome. He wanted to go to Rome, but he was going to be taken to Rome, not the way he had, that he had maybe really wanted in his heart, but he would be chained in Rome. And so with this, Paul leaves them with such... Uh, its It's hard to even put it in words and to process how wonderful these words are and the encouragement that's given to these lovely people. We talked about the witnesses that saw Eutychus. We talked about how this young man was raised from the dead. We talked about how it was in the middle of Paul's preaching on a Sunday evening, on the first day of the week. And then he goes to the coast of Greece... One would have been, uh, if one would have been in Mytilene, they would have seen it that it was the chief city of the island of Lesbos, south of Aesos. Another one uh, uh, is called Chios and, and Samos and Miletus. And Paul goes along Asia Minor before he was going to uh, purpose to go to Jerusalem. He says he's going to be on his way to Jerusalem. Paul would send for the elders of Ephesus, uh, the leaders. Paul showed that he would not neglect Asia, but he would pray for them. And he was a he was an incredible multitasker, doing communion, uh, breaking bread with, these, with, the, with the wonderful brethren and the elders, uh, having services with them, preaching to them, teaching them, uh, training up, and on, all the while he's doing this, he's, he's teaching a little young, a younger band of uh, disciples in order to go into their churches. He's teaching Timotheus, and he's teaching Silas and other ones, and all the while he's Now he's dictating this, and Dr. Luke is writing it down, and it's the second volume of Dr. Luke to Theophilus, and here he describes this third missionary journey. He meets with this group of elders. Paul wasn't just talking to the congregations, he now, as he's gathering the elders, and basically this is a satellite presbytery meeting in Miletus, he's telling the elders what to expect. He's saying, when I leave here, Paul is bringing his boldness and he could tell them, you know, you have to ask the question, what separates Paul from them? Why does he take up such a mantle and he stands up and he holds the sword of Christ in his hand? And why is he being able to have such an impact on all of these wonderful disciples. Some were elders, some were deacons, some were just new disciples that had just started hearing about the Word of God. We had read about the, the 12, the, those 12 men that Paul had witnessed to. What was it? Why, was he had, why did he have such authority? Anybody have any ideas why it was such an incredible leadership that he bestowed? There's, I mean, this is not a specific question with a one answer. There's really a lot of things we can learn from it. Not just trying to kind of gain that from you, maybe, Brother Jerry.
1: Uh, right. Right. The church. So he wants to build that leadership and fundamental church, knowing that uh and the important pieces that he and and this section really, as you read it, Tim, it's him just it speaks to one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. Amen. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the blocks over for which the Holy Ghost had made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood and cause that in him. For I know this that after my departure, grievous fools will enter the province
0: sparing, and that's the about. It. And he, he lays the groundwork by making the statement twice in this section about not holding all right. counsel time. Amen. This is prophetic. He's literally telling them what's on the horizon. And the sad thing is, is it happens, doesn't it? Three, so I'm sorry. Right.
1: right and he
0: practices it and you know i'm just saying it has fall cares for each individual and, you know right witness a testimony of what he amen It has everything to do with it think of ezekiel my point is the lord appoints certain people And it doesn't mean they're better people. It doesn't mean that they're on a class system, that they're more worthy. But the Lord does appoint people and raises them up to pick the mantle and to work hard. Look look at our present day. I haven't seen him. I've seen a lot of pastors attacked, but there's not too many that I've seen attacked more than John MacArthur. He has been ransacked, I think, worse by the evangelical church he says it's worse by. He said it himself. It's worse by the evangelical church than the people that are outside of the church that don't even know Christ. He loves dealing with them. It's the stuff he's gotten inside of the church and the things he's tried to do to hold that church to a standard, preaching the whole council. Now I have my differences. There are some things doctrinally that we all disagree with with certain pastors, and it's going to happen. But that man, if you read his, I've read his commentaries for years. That man, he really puts it on the line. He takes it on Larry King. He takes it on the news when they came after him for opening, I mean, keeping the church open. And all these wonderful things. He preaches the whole council. And his brother Jerry says, wolves come in. And what Teresa says, it reminds me of Ezekiel. He was the prophet that the Lord said, eat the scrolls. He eats them. They taste like honey. And every, I mean, I heard messages about that. and One I love the most. There's a precious pastor that said he ate the Word of God and he loved the taste of it because it oozed out of his pores. It just oozed out of every pore in his body because he loved it. And that man was given the mantle to bring this message to the Lord. You know, I maintain it going to church, and we're getting into some real technical stuff here that you're going to find, I believe you're going to find it fascinating. We live in a day and age where we we have forgotten what church is supposed to be like. It's supposed to be, when you go to church, you're supposed to be there to basically get kicked in the head. You are. It's not an ecclesiastical Starbucks. It's not a cafe. It's not something where they're supposed to go there to have all of our little felt needs taken care of. We're supposed to be, the pastor, if it's a good pastor, will lay the congregation out like Jonathan Edwards did and warn them of the train that's coming. That that light at the end of the tunnel is an oncoming train and it's, Bad things that are happening out there. This is exactly, I'm not lying because this is exactly what Paul is saying to these people. He's saying that train are wolves that are going to come in. And what he's talking about is something that's all but destroyed the traditional church here in America. Paul, what he's saying perfectly applies to what's happening now. And if anybody knows anything, if you study your Bible and you read and you see the pattern of what happened to the churches in the New Testament, we're all right on that train all of our little bible-believing churches are hanging by a thread right now just like the church in pergamos and syria and corinth most of them are defunct they're not even around anymore ephesus where's the church of ephesus that was a powerful church back in asia minor where is it today what happened to it and so we have our little churches people i can tell you three of our Presbyterian churches i've sat in on session meetings not just sessional session meetings I have personally sat in on congregational meetings and I have sat on candidates and credentials meetings and I can tell you that a lot of the people have left the churches to go to contemporary worship. They've left. They don't want to hear the old, the old, the old, old story. Paul's saying, don't lose that old, old story. He's talking about the gospel. That's what he's saying here. Verse by verse. He says in verse 27, I have not shunned. I have to declare unto you all the counsel of God. You know, where do you even start with that phrase, declaring the whole counsel of God? What is the whole counsel of God? I think we really need to pay attention to that. What is the whole counsel of God? It's amazing, speaking of John MacArthur, I'm going to give you a statement that he made, what is the whole counsel of God? Let me see if I can find it. It's, it, it's actually further ahead, I wanted, but I do want to read that now. Political corruption has really hurt the church. That's been a real problem. Paul says, I have not shunned to declare. And this goes wonderfully back to the job of the prophet, prophets. And John MacArthur, part of this, he wrote this, part of this that I put some verses together for this, to declare the truth of the Lord in its entirety. That's what the whole council is. It is not to be cut up, rewritten, and man-centered. Paul is talking about declaring the whole truth. I remember going to a Bible study years ago. This is a little note that I remember putting a few weeks ago in my notes here. And the teacher made it very plain to never to discuss politics in, his, in a study or a pulpit, to never discuss politics. Well, I maintain that probably 70% of Scripture is politics. It is. So if you're going to take politics out... You can't talk about homosexuality. You can't talk about abortion. You can't talk about a lot of these things. And there's a real problem in our country regarding this. And wait till I read this? The entire plan and purpose of God, this is from Dr. MacArthur, for man's salvation in all its fullness, divine truths of creation, elections, adoption, conversion, conversion sanctification, holy living, and glorification. That is the whole counsel of God. And Paul strongly condemned those who would dare to adulterate the truth of Scripture. Um, Charlie, could you look up 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 17? And then Jacob, 2 Timothy chapter 4 verses 3, 4 and 5. Um, brother Dave, uh, cross, could you look up Revelation's chapter 22 verses 18 and 19? And these verses are very profound. First one is Charlie, 2 Corinthians 2:17. 2, That's okay. Well, if Jacob, do you have 2 Timothy? Read that, and then we'll come back to Charlie. They all go together. We can read them out of order. That's no problem. 2 Timothy 4, verses 3, 4, and 5. Make full proof of thy ministry. Full proof. That means don't hold anything back. Don't shun what's in there. And I think one of the ways we do this is by we take scripture and we go verse by verse. We don't take little sections of it and break it and repaginate it, cut and paste it, and have this little beautiful sermon here, this little rainbow here, this little topical message here. If you go through a whole book, you're going to hit some speed bumps. And there are going to be some big ones. And you got to have to deal with them. And the Lord wants us to deal with them. And it's going to happen. And Satan's going to do everything he can to use those speed bumps to divide the inner workings of a church, even if they're small. Charlie, if you have 2 Corinthians 2, verse 17...
1: Sincerity, but
0: that god in the sight of god speak, in Christ. amen he Paul says we're not as many. he said those that are outside of the true teachings of Christ have corrupted the word of god how who how can we i mean let's talk about this a minute. How has the Word of God been corrupted today? Where do we start? Isn't that a big, isn't that a broad question? Rachel? That's very sad. And little babies need, them, need people to protect them, don't they? They need protection. They need people that are heroes that will stand up like uh, that organization and churches to support that organization. And a lot of babies have been spared because of that. What if they weren't there? That's a very, very good point. Um, well, I'd like Brother Dave Cross to read, his, to read his verse first, and then we'll go to Lisi and talk about this a little more. What a condemnation I'm sorry right perfect he just you just hit the dartboard right in the center. Where do you hear this? Where do you hear this mandate that that's come out and it started years ago, Charlie oh yeah. Right. I mean, look at the Catholic Bible that's inverted the Ten Commandments. They've even taken it upon themselves to invert the Ten Commandments. I think it's the Seventh Commandment. It's like the Fifth Commandment. I don't know. It's confusing. Charlie. Right. It's totally. I remember talking about it with a, a, a Catholic friend of ours about three, three years ago, and they specifically I think it was the Seventh Commandment that's inverted. I can't remember now, but it, what Dave said is, is, is extremely profound. Anyone else? Lisi, Right. Right, That's like cut and co- copied and pasted. Right? That's a great point. And it's, it's, it, and, and it's amazing how only they still reserve the right to interpret it. Only certain. You, you don't have congreg, congregants interpreting it ever. It's, it's just basically the polity of the church. They can interpret it and say what goes in and what doesn't. The church says what's in it, what's not today. Lisi.
1: Right. Right. And so I think, you know, this is what's causing the apostasy and everything, too, because people, if you're apathetic to the word of God, it's not reaching you, not piercing you. Right. You're not saying, well, I don't think it's an option
0: for a Christian. I really don't. I don't think there's any such thing as a carnal Christian. I believe that you continue along that line. Right. That's a good point. Carnal Christians. That's an old term. And that's a convenient term, isn't it? Jacob. So I get back to last year, we'll about how things, uh, what said. Right. Right. That's a good point. And he was talking. Pastor Coleman was talking about watering art- artificial plants, right? Uh-huh. Watering artificial plants, and and that's what it is. There's a deadness there. They're dead. You water an artificial plant. Is it going to grow some new flowers? What or whatever? You can't trust the chair. How can you sit on a chair you can't trust? How can you go to a church that you can't trust? Anyone else? Rachel? They don't care. They become, at least he used the pivotal word, apathetic. Apathy. Doesn't matter anymore. See, the problem is, is we as little teeny tiny specks on the grand universal scale of God's plan and dominion, we have now developed this little opinion where we can make up our minds, to do what we want against what God says. Matthew had his hand up, and then Dave. Go ahead, Matt. Prohibition, right? right. Yeah. Right. This is true. This is very true. Very serious. Lisey. Or Dave, I'm sorry. it's like TV show. Like food commercials. A little bit here, a little bit here. Yes. Right. Right. Yeah. sick. And the dogs have better sense. It just, doesn't it blow your mind? Right. And it's been creeping in. Right. That's right. <laughs> or you can turn it off. <laughs> right, every now and then we got to do that. But it's like Steve Lawson said, it's out of the closet and it's now on Main Street. That's basically, I love that statement. He was preaching from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 to 31. He he was preaching from that and making a parallel with Psalm 2. And he said, what used to be in the closets now on Main Street. Anybody else? Brother Jerry. get you going, doesn't it?
1: Against themselves being not baptized of him. So you get a sense, a very clear sense from that statement that Luke made, and as you pointed out, is also the letter of Act. What's going on here? They've rejected themselves. The full counts about why, and here's what irritates people all the time, and and if we actually take stock of our own selves, we can place ourselves in these categories. It's us. We get rattled. Most of the time, we get rattled because we know, uh, in our case, we know the truth of God being held out to us. But we don't reject the word. Amen. John 15, 15 explains why this is happening. Henceforth, I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. There's the key. We don't know anything unless God reveals it to us. Amen. And, and one of the biggest things as you, as, as you know that people reject is this notion of the chosen people.
0: The mm. elect Right. That's,
1: that's, a, that's an undeniable truth that we all to wrestle And, you know, as far as today's going, I've been... Just passage for about five years. Mm. You, you probably know it, first eleven. Twelve days, come, say, Lord God,
0: that I will send a family in the land. Not a family of bread, you are thirst for water, but appearing the word. That's it. They'll not find, they not find it. Right. Where can you find it today? There's, there's a few. Thank the Lord. You know, I'm not talking about anybody having a perfect church. If there is one and I go to it, then it will cease to be perfect. But I know that there is no perfect church, but there are still those that are sending out missionaries, preaching the gospel, and warning the people, which is what the prophets did. Very excellent statements by everyone this morning. This is going to, no doubt, be a two-part series going into next week because this, this, this—the the verses just keep going. We've been in Acts. We've been in accents since the beginning of 2018. How long was John MacArthur? I got a question for you, Jay. You got to know this. How long was John MacArthur in the Book of John? Eleven years. <laughs> Book of John. Eleven years. I love that. Yep. Look at that. And see, eleven years, and he said we didn't even start scratching the surface of the book of John. Anyway, I gotta read this to you. I'm gonna get political, okay? I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry. First scripture must prevail. I want to read this again. For I have not shunned to you, verse 27, to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed, he says, listen. Therefore, like he says in the beginning of Romans 12, I beseech ye therefore, brethren. He goes, I beg you. Paul says, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. What did Christ say to Peter? Peter, do you love me? Of course I love you, Lord. Feed my my sheep. Second time. Remember how many times did, did Peter deny Christ? Peter, do you love me? Feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Lord, thou knowest that I love. He starts rebuking the Lord again. Thou knowest. He says, feed my sheep, feed my flock, feed my lambs, feed them. He doesn't say to entertain them. He doesn't say to buy them things and teach them that they need to go to Dick's and buy a new canoe, which is what uh, Joel Austin told his congregation. You go to Dick's and you see that canoe, there's three of you, buy all three of them, it'll show you're a good Christian. That's what he said. I remember that. I was laughing. The present-day problem with not preaching the whole council is shunning the truth. Wolves entering in. Sadly, what the core issue of the church leaders doing the opposite of what Apostle Paul calls the elders here to do is because of the ever-present political purpose. Look at what happened in 1983 with Bob Jones. Watch this. This is important because we have to talk about politics because it's politics that are ruining the churches. Look at this. In Bob Jones University versus the United States, Article Four Sixty One U.S. Five, page, I think it's page Five Seventy Four. The case, the United States Supreme Court noted the following about the government's intended pers- purpose for the 501c3. The Supreme Court determined in Bob Jones University versus the United States, Four Sixty One U.S. Five Seventy Four in 1983 that the Internal Revenue Service may deny tax-exempt status to institutions whose policies are contrary to established public policy, even if those policies are based on religious beliefs. What does that mean? I'm going to tell you what it means. The court asserts that an exempt organization must, 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 now if the church is exempt and it has signed the exemption papers, it must, it's not a peradventure statement where perhaps the government will look at it. or it, won't. it says the church must demonstrably serve and be in harmony with the public interest. Must have a purpose that, comp- that comports with the common community conscience. And must not act in a manner affirmatively at odds with the declared position of the whole government. Taking care, these passages suggest that the primary function of a tax-exempt organization is to act on behalf of the government in carrying out governmentally approved policies. Now, if you don't understand what this means, wait till I read to you what the second president of the United States of America said about this. This is called government hush money. Our framers of the Constitution demanded an utmost high regard for the worship of the Lord. They knew that state interference would cause pragmatism and it would spread like wildfire. What is pragmatism? Anybody? Lisi. Yes. It's practical. You can take it and you can take what Martin Luther said Take a wax nose and change the, 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 the appearance of that face any way you want it. Pragmatism is a practical approach to problems and affairs. And on the, on the philosophical level, it's an approach that assesses the truth of meaning of theories or beliefs in terms of the success of their practical application. Here's what John Adams said. Look at what our second president of the United States warned. John Adams stated, while he, while he was our president, the church is the moral compass of society. The Church is the moral. What a wonderful statement. That ought to be up on the Supreme Court. The Church is the moral compass of society. What does that mean? That means it demands a certain reverence. Washington, Henry, Adams, Jefferson, Franklin, John Jay, all of them met together when they were framing the Constitution, and they were writing up all these wonderful articles and all, and they were going to Scripture. And they were saying that the one thing that we need to hang on to in this country is to make sure when that sanctuary, the sanctuary doors are open, that the people hold God to a reverence and worship Him in spirit and in truth and that they do not lose sight of that. But John Adams said that there is a way that this could be torn apart. Listen to this. But in order to remain a true and faithful compass, the church must remain separate and independent of the influences of that society particularly its civil government. It must be a free church. Should the church become subordinate or in any way controlled or co-opted by the civil government, quote-unquote, a state church system, it can no longer effectively serve as that society's moral compass. Unless it is respected, no one will listen to what it has to say. And that's the way it is. The church used to be the final word of the United States government. When there were problems, you went into the church. But the church did not go to the state to change Scripture. That's changed, hasn't it? Here's a, here's a, here's a quote from a book called in, in Caesar's Grip by Peter Kershaw. Indeed, if you citizens in any society at any time in history in any nation have ever had any genuine respect for any state church system, nor should they. State church systems are inevitably compromised and governed by pragmatism rather than genuine Christian faithfulness. It should surprise no one that 501c3 church in America has lost its prophetic voice, lost the respect it once held, and is no longer the moral compass of society. And we can see other areas where this has crept in. What has crept into the church today? Matthew. Yes. Yes. Right. Lisa. Right. Humanism, subjectivism, relativism, pragmatism. A lot of isms, again, we were talking about last week. Here's an article written recently regarding being patient with a pastor struggling with homosexuality. This was, just, this, this was published about a year ago. A pastor is a fallible human being just like those in his congregation. So it is biblically allowable for him to struggle with homosexual desires, adulterous desires, greedy desires, prideful desires, etc. But a pastor is to model repentance and submission to the Lord. They're saying that while he's there, it's okay for him to struggle with these things. We all do. No, he's not. It's not okay for him to struggle with these things. If he's struggling with these things and he's empowering it and he's causing problems, he needs to be gone. Abortion. Churches have clouded the dominion mandate that thou shalt not kill by making concessions for abortions predicated on their exemptions in community conscience. So basically, if you're exempt, you're not supposed to say anything against abortion. That's community conscience that it basically now is pro choice is there. I mean, am I making this up? Does this does this not make sense? It's crept into churches and organizations everywhere, colleges, Lisa. Right. That's right. When the government says to close your churches, what does that mean? If you've signed a tax-exempt form, you are duty-bound legally now just to close the church because you've signed the statements. That is current community conscience when the governor says to shut the church down. That's what it is. The churches are so divided and congregations so confused confused that they have been led away from the bottom bottom line of what God says about abortion. Thou shalt not kill. There is no amending or modifying this dominion mandate. When nations and churches embrace contraception, abortion, and divorce, they immediately begin to die when they embrace these things and they empower them. But there, there are areas... That are gray areas. I understand that, but when it comes to abortion, there are no gray areas. None. There are no gray areas at all, Lisa. Right. Freedom of assembly. In many ways. That's right. We we see here that um, what has become. I've been reading several articles, but what has become very confusing over the last four to five decades is there are many churches that have opened up and they have given concessions to three major portions of why abortions are okay. And that's in case of uh, incest, in the case of rape, and in the case of the woman's life being um, uh, on the line and, and possibly dying. Well, If there's a national poll that was taken by Christian organizations, that says out of 100% of abortions, maybe 3% constitute actual cases where these apply. And if they really were allowed, if they were, it would only be 3%. But we know what the Lord says. He says, thou shalt not kill. That is the standard that we live by. Paul is talking about preaching the whole council And if we're not preaching the whole council, if the the, the leaders are not doing that and they're watering things down and they're leaving things out, Paul says wolves will come in sheep's clothing. He says that in these verses we just read, Take heed therefore, verse 28, Acts chapter 20, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. The wolves in sheep's clothing, are the words are from our Lord Jesus Christ. He warns the church, he says to them, Christ purchased the church with his blood. And Paul really is emotionally and physically feeling the weight of what could happen to these churches if they're... if they're they're torn apart by wolves. He really, he's doing this in tears. Can you imagine how, I mean, look, look, if you read all the way down, it says that the people, they wept sorely on his neck. This was a very emotional time for the church. There was a lot of persecution. There was a lot of hardships in the church. But it says wolves would enter in. Paul warns that after his departure, he is concerned that the elders... And the churches in Asia Minor and all the surrounding regions that they will forget the whole council and wolves will take over. Could someone read Ezekiel chapter 22 verse 27? Now this is in the Old Testament going all the way back to Ezekiel. While you're looking that up, Lisa has something to say here. Go ahead. Immune. That's what they're to be. Mhm. So that means that churches have to give up willingly. Give up that immune. Right. So in order, now the question is why did they do that? Right. And there's only one reason that was money. And why I say that is because they wanted to be able to sell things. Right. And as we just read in that article in 501c3, it comes around community conscience. Community conscience and what the prevailing, what, what, the, what is the word on the street, and the church is supposed to adhere to that. Who has Ezekiel? Thank you. Ezekiel 22, verse 27. That goes all the way back to Ezekiel. Thank you, Teresa. Look at that. What a prophecy. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Who could look that up? Matthew 7, verse (laughs) 15. Thank you, Matthew. And then... You go to Matthew 10, 16. Behold, I send you forth as sheep into the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Then Luke 10, 3. Go your ways. Behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Here Paul's using the very same terminology as Christ did. He said their wolves will get in the middle of you. This is what it, says, what it says in Acts 20, right in these verses. He says wolves will come... Come amongst you, and he's warning them, grievous wolves entering among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Have we seen anything like that today? Church leaders speaking perverse things, trying to, to, to pull disciples away? Look at the seminaries. Look at what's going on with them. Perverse things. I think... Three new churches just came up. Three no, new. Their churches came up in the last couple of weeks. This came out on Fox News. Three churches now are changing their bylaws in their church regarding marriage equality. Luther, the Lutherans are upgrading theirs. There's another Presbyterian syndicate that they're doing it. And then the Catholic Church now is looking at some of the laws and they're, and they're being very careful with that. Back a little bit here. I missed something. <clears throat> What did Christ say? What did he say? Genesis nineteen twelve. And the men said unto Lot, Hast thou here any besides? Son-in-law, and thy sons, and thy daughters, and whatsoever thou hast in the city, bringing them out of this place? Genesis nineteen twelve, verse 13. For we will destroy this place, because the cry of them is waxing great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord hath sent us to destroy it. The sun was risen upon the earth when Lot entered into Zoar. Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and Gomorrah, Brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven, and he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and that which grew upon the ground. 1926. But his wife looked back from behind and she became a pillar of salt. Talk about calcification. She became a pillar of salt. So Christ comes back and he says in Luke 17.32, and he said three words basically in the New Testament regarding homosexuality, remember Lot's wife. He says, remember what happened to her. Don't let that become part of your church. Don't don't use it. Please do not use it as an as don't use it as an example not to love if if that culture comes in and people are visiting and they've been through that. Don't use it as an opportunity not to love them and to give them the gospel and encourage them. But don't cross it over. Don't cross the line and 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 allow it into the church and empower the church with it. This is what's happening. Ordaining gay ministers. Having gay Sunday school teachers and then being able to teach these things to the kids, that's not permitted. But according to what we read back here, the church is now being responsible to do it. And I want to read it one more time. Political corruption, and we see here, it states here, the court asserts that an exempt organization must demonstrably serve and be in harmony with public interest and have a purpose that comports with the community conscience and must not act in a manner affirmatively at at odds with the declaration position of the whole government. Taken together, these passages suggest that the primary function of a tax-exempt organization is to act on behalf of the government in carrying out governmentally approved policies. Businesses, there are many businesses that have to be tax-exempt. I understand that. But it's a dangerous path to walk down for a church and its congregation. It's very dangerous. It's something that really needs to be checked out. And Paul says, preaching the whole council, he is saying that these things cannot come into the church. Homosexuality, sodomy, it cannot be enabled. These things cannot be part of the church's teaching and and enabling. Matthew. Right. Amen. Right. Well, it comes back to what our Lord says. Is it right or is it wrong? And I think we can find pretty much everything in Scripture. What a standard. I know we were talking, Brother, Brother Jerry was talking earlier about, um, about those, I forget the word, he used a really good word about an instability in the church. Isn't it one wonderful that we as weak people that are subject to committing all the heinous crimes there are, if it wasn't for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it wonderful that we have a stability and an example in our Lord who bought us, and we're going to talk about that that next week, purchased us with His blood, that we have a standard that was in His whole ministry was unwavering. He never cracked. He never budged. As we're ta- Wednesday evening we're talking about as the Lord came back from Emmaus and He vanished from those men and He appeared into Jerusalem with the disciples. He didn't give them what they deserved. He said, peace be unto you. That's where peace comes from. All these horrible things that are out there, we can weather them through Christ, but no other way. And I, and I, and I, I believe that it, the more we stay in Scripture and we pray that the Lord will, will, will guide and direct our paths. Um, that's pretty much it for today. We're going to go into the last part of this message from Paul next week. So let's finish. Matthew, can you close us this morning? Thank you.